0: While it's hard to say whether there's any one particular day that's best for running away from home, if forced to choose, one would probably say the 15th of September would be as good a day as any. But on the other hand, to the mud-soaked and waterlogged girl stumbling through the woods, the 15th didn't feel particularly good for anything whatsoever. After all, it was her birthday, and nothing good had ever happened on it before. I'm Brian Flaherty. And I'm Elliot Davis. And today is September 15th, and that means there is only one game we could possibly be playing. Today, My First Dungeon presents Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast, a slice-of-life tabletop role-playing game about a heartless witch, a peaceful house, and all the folks who have made their home inside. At the bed and breakfast, it is always September 15th because that is Yoseba's favorite day. And when you're a witch as powerful as Yoseba, why would you ever want it to be any other day? This is a game that Elliot and I have been eagerly, eagerly awaiting since it was announced. And now that it's here, we feel the need to celebrate. Because after all, it's Gertrude's birthday. So to kick off this surprise party, Elliot and I are joined by the Any Award-winning co-creator of Yuseva's Bed and Breakfast and co-founder of Possum Creek Games, none other than Jay Dragon. Jay, welcome back! Hey, thank you so much
1: for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, I'm so excited to, to get to talk about all this. I don't
0: think I can overstress how excited I've been to read this game since it was announced. Like, tore through the ash can. It was just like, God, I, I need it. I need it. And now that it's here, I'm so excited <laughs> the, to The
1: 500-page PDF, yeah.
0: Well, and now it's a thing. I've, I've read through, I haven't read through all of it, uh-huh, but, like, uh-huh. because I want to save, like, I don't want to read the uh-huh. later chapters because I want uh-huh. to, like, unlock them and get them and I want to, It'll be a sad day when I finally get to the end of this book, because I'm trying to parse it out and savor it.
1: There aren't that many tabletop games that need spoiler warnings, and Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast is really the first one I've worked on where it's like, there are, like, you know, there will be conversations where I'm like, by the way, spoilers.
2: (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) It's... It's so lovely. I did like flip to some of the back pages one time, and just like because I had to see, I had to know. Of course, of course, of course. And then I saw like one or two things. I was like, no, 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 no! Get out of here! Get out of here! Get out of here! <laughs> no spoilers! No spoilers!
2: <laughs> I've gone too far. I've gone too deep. I've gone too far. Don't do it. I've been very like tiptoey as I go through the PDF. I'm like, I'm just gonna scroll one page at a time, make sure I don't accidentally do that to myself. Uh-huh, uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. And like, you know, it's a non-linear story. It's designed to, you know, like anything can happen in any order. But yeah, no, there's definitely. There's definitely some uh, surprises in the back that, you know, I think, I think I'm not the kind of person who cares about spoilers, but it's fun to have a game where, you know, if you care about spoilers, you can really, you know, get There's really, there's a lot of interesting stuff to look forward to. See, I'm, I'm a staunch anti-spoiler. Like, I, I think someone mm-hmm, telling me, like, mm-hmm. what
0: was in the trailer, if I don't want to see the trailer, was a spoiler. <laughs> like, I go too deep on the spoiler train. I recognize mm-hmm. I'm in the minority. I might be mm-hmm. wrong. I'm mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think I have the same character flaw. I'm pretty, I'm pretty anti-spoiler. But... Yeah, yeah, it
1: is a flaw. The philosopher Gaston Bachelard said that you have to read every book twice. Uh, and the first time is for the shock factor, and the second time is to, like, actually understand what's going on. Mm, so, the first okay. time you just have to experience it, and the second time you can make sense of it. And so, spoilers... I don't want to read every book twice, so spoilers are, like, my way of reading it first before I read it the second time. So, But I will catch myself, when watching a movie that I already know the plot of, I'll spend... I won't be in present with the experience. I'll be analyzing it. Which mm. is also my preferred thing to do to movies in general. Like that's just how I, that's just what I do to movies that I like. I don't know. It's a different relationship. And I think if you're looking for the experience, you can get you can sidetrack you.
0: I have to give you a commendation because that was the first time anyone's ever said a good explanation for why there should be spoilers that I actually paused and thought. I kind of agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but bef- before we before we just have they me talking about spoilers. ourselves spoilers, yes. Jay, uh, first question I, I kind of want to put out there is, in the broadest sense, tell us what is Yoseba's Bed and Breakfast? What is this game? Who is it for? Kind of how did it come about?
1: Yazebas is a slice of life, you know, as mentioned, it's a slice of life tabletop game that uses pre-generated characters to tell short episodic stories, these chapters, about kind of adventure adventures got taken on by this found family in this interdimensional bed and breakfast. Um, the trick of Yazebas is that You've got a character like, let's say, Gertrude, a, a trans runaway who's you know, ended up on the front door. And maybe in one chapter, I play as her. Maybe in another chapter, Brian, you play as her. But the notes I make on the character sheet, when you take over, you still have those notes. The journey I take on, you still carry with you. Um, and chapters are designed to be wildly different game experiences, united by the fact that when you accomplish something in a chapter, it makes changes... To the game itself. So when you, when you go into a chapter and you, you win a bouquet of dandelions or a muddy old boot or a jack-o'-lantern, you put those onto the shelves of the bed and breakfast and in doing so unlock, you know, future characters, future chapters, all that stuff. So the game evolves as you play, even regardless of who you're playing it with. It's not like Dungeons and Dragons where each campaign starts at level one. It's more like you're telling these little one shots and every single time. It's You're impacting the structure of the game.
2: Love that explanation. Such a great pitch for this game. I want to kind of ask about, with this being the latest endeavor for for Possum Creek broadly, how that pitch you just gave in this game broadly is both a unique endeavor, a first-time creation for Possum Creek, and also in some ways, which I think... Uh, maybe you agree with this, a natural evolution of the body of work of Possum Creek.
1: Yeah. So, Yuseva's Bed and Breakfast, we started designing, I'm my co-creator, and I started designing in November 2019, which is noteworthy for being a really long time ago now. I think at the time of this episode's release, almost a four-year, you know, development phase. But also, notably, before I started designing Wanderhome. Oh. Yeah, sometimes I like to joke that everything I've done in the past two years has been groundwork and build-up for Yazebas. That, like, even Wanderhome, all of Wanderhome, is kind of the, like, the prelude intro structure set up for, like, Yazebas to be, po- you know, for... To To set up the conditions for its creation, like I'm a Machiavellian you know like cultist preparing the arrival of my elder I mean, god. What, um, a, what a prelude, <laughs> what a, what a yeah, right, like I mean you know like it's like it's like how do I teach people how to read theseables, how do I teach people? How do I? How do you get people... And like, that wasn't the intent of Wander Home. That's not why I made Wander Home. But there's a lot of Wander Home where people will be like, I'm so excited about this part. I'm like, just wait, just wait, just wait until you see <laughs> what I've been working on for two years before Wander Home came out and two years afterwards as well. So yeah, I think Eusebius is a natural arc. It's also kind of a, a magnum opus. I don't think we'll be doing anything this large for quite a while. Mm-hmm. It's definitely kind of our... Uh, big statement of like what mm. what what games are, are able to be when you are just when you when you go at games from a different angle than what you know anyone else has been really trying to do.
0: And you say, you know, you say four years, this long process, you say you're probably not gonna do something this big. Did you intend at the outset to make a five hundred page Magnum opus? Or did did this start smaller and just kind of became what it is or was this always kind of the the trajectory you had in mind?
1: We didn't have any sense of Yazeba's size of the beam. That was kind of like what let it balloon so hard is that we had a roadmap <laughs> that was like, if we thought about the roadmap, we'd be like, yeah, that's really big. But really what happened was it was like, you know, Em and I would, you know, we b- we were both working in different branches of the same art supply store. And so, like, while we were both at work, we'd be texting each other about ideas. Or, like, you know, during quarantine, we'd just be kind of bored sitting around writing up new guests. And then, like, when we brought in other writers, it was just like, oh, yeah, make stuff. Have fun with it. So it was just like, because Yazeba's was kind of such a slow burn in terms of its development, it wasn't until, I think, like, around when wander home was coming out that we actually sat down and was like let's let's create limits on the size of this thing let's box in the thing we've made and there's stuff we left on the cutting room floor there's uh, entire like approaches to the game that we intentionally have set aside like, we've, there's a lot of things we had to make the choice to be like, we're not going any further down this path. We're saving that for the future. So, surprisingly, Yezebus <laughs> is contained, <It's> su- <laughs> which I, I know is hard to believe looking at the behemoth of the book. But truthfully, the thing about it is that only a small portion of that behemoth is the actual baseline, right? It's only like, 20 pages of rules and then like you know you got you know some characters and then you just pick a chapter which is like itself four pages maybe so you know you add it all together you get something you know like any particular session is the size of like you know like a zine but it just keeps you know it just keeps expanding and iterating and like every creative idea either of us had for like or any of us had for like four years we just took it and slopped it in somewhere in there
0: I really can't help but think about the second sign on the front door of Yuseba's room for everybody. Room mm-hmm, for everyone. Mm-hmm, it's a perfect mm-hmm. uh, ethos for both the game
1: design and the game itself, I guess. Which yeah, is great. Yeah, We wanted to make a game that really felt uh, eclectic. Like a game that felt like, you know, how do you capture... There's there's a moment in the book where we say that Yuseba's Bed and Breakfast is many things. It is a book. It is a house. It is a role-playing game. And part of what that is, right, is that... Like, the joke is that the name of the game is also the name of the hostel, but also the book itself is the bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. Like, very, like, it is, it is on the, like, they are. They are the same object, right? the The house is the book. The book is the house. the The book has basements, and the book has shelves, and the book has secrets hidden away. And like, there is a reason why the front cover is just the house. You know, and every mm-hmm. all the little figures so small around it because the focus is on the house, and because the house is the book. Uh, and the game is the house is the book, right? They're all kind of, you know, how do you, you know, we want to be able to say when we say room for everyone, we mean on all levels, right? That the book is an accessible text, that it is, uh, it is, it has space for many people, uh, that the game can make space for people, and also that uh, the, the game presents a, a sense of limitlessness in its design that you feel like you could find anything in there. If you looked hard enough that, you know, when you get to a certain point, you're like, there's nothing I could find here that would surprise me. And then you turn a page and there's something that surprises you. Right. Like that's kind of what, what we want to be able to do. It's
2: like 500 pages going on infinite pages. Yes.
1: (laughs) That's the thing is that like, really like, there's like, you know, there's already people making fan content. I'm already kind of worrying in my head about more guests, more chapters. Mm-hmm. There's other people doing really interesting stuff there. It, it, it provides a really simple structure that it then iterates on endlessly in order to create the feeling that like, oh, I can put my own stuff in there, right? Like all this stuff exists to, to give me a sense that I could do even more with this. That even though so much has been written in this book, it's not the end. It's not like this is a, a final statement. It's it's the beginning. People oftentimes ask the chapters in the book are laid out out of order. So it starts with chapter five and then chapter three and then like chapter eleven and like chapter one isn't until like the fifth chapter into the book. And then there's like chapter two is halfway through the book. And people are like, why did you do that? Why is the why are the contents of the book out of order? And there's a few design reasons for that, but a big one is that there's gaps in the numbering. So it's not saying that, oh, here is a list of all the chapters that exist. It's saying here are the collated chapters we could find, (laughs) right? Here's, you know, it implies if there's a chapter one and a chapter two and a chapter three and a chapter five, well now it's asking you, well, what's chapter four, right? And that's on you, that's not us anymore.
0: When I first like opened the PDF and I saw, you know, crazy numbering of chapters, there was a part of my brain that was just like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> no, uh-huh. no, no.
0: But uh-huh. but, as I was reading it um, in the opening bit, you you say something about the book or Yuseba's Bed and Breakfast kind of being thought of as like that childhood cartoon that was always on, but you never caught mm-hmm. all in the right order. You just kind of caught episodes mm-hmm. here and there. You weren't mm-hmm. even sure if it was actually a cartoon. And like the second I read that, I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. I get yes. it. I'm like, I'm so on board. And I think that feeling of something that is like, that is reminiscent, but like just out of reach, like you're, you're remembering it together, Mm -hmm, but it's all a little mm -hmm. hazy and you can kind
1: of was just, is a lovely lens to read this book through. We would oftentimes while developing it, talk about what was probably like, we like to joke that this is like a tabletop adaptation of an older media empire that has now been Mm -hmm. lost. And this is like the final relic of this media empire. Uh, Part of what that means is that, like, when understanding the the narrative or the structure or any of it, we imagine, uh, for example, you know, there are many different orders you can read. You can read it by the order of the chapters in the book or by the ordering of the numbers of the book or just by the order you play it in, each of which is going to be different. And that very easily, you know, you can imagine maybe one of those was, like, the book series or one of those was the 60s cartoon or one of those was the 90s cartoon or, like, why is there two separate chapters where the plot line in both of them is that Amelie breaks down and someone has to like take over for them? And our answer for that is because the original book, there was only one of that. And then like in a TV show, they turned it into two episodes, or, like they adapted oh. it into different contexts and we wanted to preserve both. It's like there's, we sometimes would imagine like that we are taking a show that we watched as kids, making the subtext text and then bringing it over into the, into the modern day. Um, But that was like part of the imagination that drove the whole process.
0: I think there are so many games that it's something that was like this specific, almost like thinking of it as like a module or something where I wouldn't necessarily play the same module twice. But with something like this, I'm way more inclined and excited to because it feels intentional rather than like something that was supposed to kind of be played once and whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: This is very intentionally like, yeah, play it again. Play see how it changes, see how it, see what you do.
1: And chapters in Yuzabas are designed to be played multiple times. And I think in a way that, like, there are some chapters where you'll play them and you'll go, that was good. I'm good. I don't want to really play that one again. You know, I had fun with it. I don't, there's nothing more for me to get out of this. And there's some you'll play and you're like, yeah, I could do that again, right? Like, I could, I could go in there again and do, do it differently. Like, Birthday for Gertrude, I think, is the classic. It's chapter one and it's really, it changes so heavily based on who is there and how they're playing and what their, what their journeys are up to that it really, like, or even who's playing Gertrude. And like, it, it changes so much based on that each time that like, I've played Birthday for Gertrude probably uh, about a dozen times. And I still am like, I could play it again. It's really one of those chapters where like, I have, I have fun with it every time. And, you know, when you've been playtesting a game for four years, that is not the case for every single right, chapter right, in the game. Right. <laughs> there's some chapters where I'm like, I don't, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm, I've, I've, I've had enough of it. I'm willing to let it rest for a bit, but there's somewhere <laughs> it's like, I, I'm still ready to go.
2: I'm interested in that, uh, that idea you brought up of subtext and making the subtext text. And I think that in a lot of ways, you can sum up a, a bit the themes of this game is like room for everyone. But I'm curious, like, what are the other themes that are central to that idea, um, for you of making the subtext text? And just what are the themes that kind of informed the, the creation of the chapters and the game?
1: So Yoseba's is, you know, it's a, it's a big book. So there's a lot of themes. I don't want to like try and water it down to one thing, but I feel very strongly, like Em and I both are slash grew up working class uh, as trans girls in rural New York. Um, our co-writers, you know, Mercedes and Lily are, you know, are both, we're all four of us are queer. They're people of color. We've all experienced, you know, we're all disabled in, in many different ways. We've all kind of got a wide variety of experiences. Uh, Mercedes has worked in activist communities. Lily is a, a school teacher. We have had like kind of these these very wide Experiences around working with communities, being in communities that both challenge our marginalization and you know like delight in our marginalization, and we've experienced kind of the intricacies, both the joys and the follies of queer community, you know, both in digital spaces in real life. And Yazeba's becomes kind of this this great summing force of like, uh, what if you could build a home for what if what if you could like, can you imagine? What it would be to create a home that has room for everyone and what is the day to day reality of living in this space that is maybe not always like finance, like maybe is sometimes financially precarious or like there's social conflict or like there's you know challenges or disasters or adventures and like what is it all you know like there's there's a chapter where you can like run out of money there's a chapter where like water damage can like break parts of the bed and breakfast these things can happen and so the game becomes about what is the day to day reality of being in community what is the what is the truth of being in a space where you've got little kids and old ladies and everyone in between running around and so i think to me that is kind of the big theme i think also as well um, you know, queerness, of course. But specifically, um, I've been reading Fierce Femmes and Notorious Liars by Kai Cheng tom which is a fantastic book. And that is uh her autobiography. She's a she's a trans woman in California, and it's her biography. And, like, it's magical, right? Like, the, her biography opens... Chapter one is about uh, the day she decided to run away from home was the same day all the mermaids washed up onto the shore and died. And so she's with her little sister trying to help the mermaids back into the ocean. And she's like, I think I'm going to run away from home. And this is her biography, right? And there's something so huh. magical about, I think, specifically, like, queerness, the way... I think your identity, like the way in which like the edge, like liminality, the edge of the world, kind of begins to blend together, and also like generations and successive generations of caring for people, Um and like Yeziba and Gertrude, right? As a as an older queer woman and a and a younger queer kid, is like a really important part. Um, and like we're in a political climate right now, we're telling stories about queer kids and queer teenagers is like dicey stuff. Even when Yeziba's isn't, you know, like we're not. You know, we're not like doing anything kind of like you know risque or like there are there are works of art that I think are more daring than what we choose to do. You know, like a lot of the themes of it are about you know growing up as a young queer girl in a in a social context that is both challenging and inviting.
0: I think having that, I don't even want to, but mundanity that kind of day to day that slice of life and living in that. A, I think, has a strange kind of like magical epic quality to it, even though it's there's there's no drag there's no dragons and things to slay in like as in some other games, but there is something kind of like big and beautiful in those like much smaller moments that if you give people, they'll make a meal out of. And they'll and I think embodying those small moments allows you to even better empathize and sympathize with the characters that you're embodying, more so than slaying the dragon that you will never do but you may live in this kind of house or this kind of community.
1: Yeah, you'll never, you know, you'll never, uh, you know, like, Eusebius doesn't have any dragons to fight, but, you know, it does have laundry. It has catching (laughs) ghosts, you know, it has exploring the basement and finding, you know, you go down to the basement and there's things like, oh, is that a goblin or a weirdly shaped watering can? Things like that where it's like, you know, there's a lot of... um, It's playful and it's mundane in a way that, but like still able to have these really like dramatic, intense personal moments. Um, like there are, there are some mechanics in the game that intercede into the thing and kind of create these really interesting messy fascinating situations that that can come out of you know it, it's both small and when you sum it all together you're amazed at how large it can get
0: this is a little bit off topic but uh, but i've always loved in television shows when there are bottle episodes so episodes yes. that, that aren't part of the real narrative usually mm-hmm. are in like bottled up in one or two rooms or something and they just kind of exist outside the main narrative I don't quite know why I love them. You always get, like, some depth of character in those episodes because there's no real plot. It's just people talking, usually. And I don't think I realized just till now that that's part of what this game is like. That's part of the itch this game is scratching for me. is like,
1: oops, all beach episodes. Exactly, all beach episodes. all 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 of the you know the flashback uh, mm-hmm. 70s episodes mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. and you can sometimes get the sense that there's like stranger things happening yseba is often away on witchy business um there are moments when you get hints to this there's there's deep lore that i i don't want to spoil here because we've talked about spoilers but there's deep lore when you read when you read the game you'll spot moments where you're like wait this is pointing at something larger and weirder so, in, in Moomins, one of my, uh, like, a, a, a deeply important influential thing for me, Moomin Valley by Tov Janssen, um, there's this sense that the world outside of Moomin Valley is undergoing kind of a great deal of turmoil. There's, like, the Hobgoblin, who is a powerful sorcerer who rides around on a black panther who shoots lightning down from his hands. And he shows Wait, up because there's... has got He's called, uh, <laughs> Moomins? Moomins? Yeah, Writing it's a, a Finnish it's a finished children's book series about a group of trolls that was turned into an anime in the '90s. Also with like this really cutesy links you know, in
0: the description. Links in the description. <laughs> you
1: can watch all the '90s Moomin an episodes on YouTube, and they've got a new like show that just came out recently. But anyway, so, so Hobgoblin Gob only is relevant because the kids, like the Moomin and Snufkin and Lil Mai, find his hat, which allows them to change things into pink. Smoke, and Moomin accidentally transforms himself into a horrible monster, and everyone thinks he's a monster. And when like genuinely a disturbing looking drawing, uh, like very unsettling for a little kid to see. Uh, and he's only redeemed when his mother sees through the monstrosity. is like yes, this is my Moomin. Um, and then they change him back, and then they give the hat back to the hobgoblin who like arrives and is like, I'm the hobgoblin. And they're like, Oh, we're so glad you're here. We have your hat. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's just like, and it's like, it's you get the sense, like, and like, there's Moomin Papa used to be an adventurer and he owns a gun, and like, there's like, Snufkin is an anarchist, and there's all these things that are happening, like, explicitly an anarchist, um, like he, like his first introduction is that he breaks into their garden and is stealing food from them, and Moomin and Papa almost shoots him, and this is like, it, but like, it's all presented in this way where it's like that is all less important than. Whatever little misadventure they're getting up to right now. But you know that there's something bigger in the background. It's just that's not where the story is right now. And Yuseba's, I think, kind of ends up in a similar space.
2: I feel like you get those. Um, and I love that. Now I'm like itching to watch Mumens. Like I'm like pretty much after this interview, <laughs> it I'm sounds like, go a Probably try and find mm-hmm. an episode. It sounds oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that deeper lore, I, like reading the introduction period, you start to get these wonderful pieces of like fiction written in over like these pink squares. And I feel like that's where I'm starting to like read those and I'm like, "Oh, that's like this like one or two words in a sentence that hints at like the bigger journey this character is going to undergo while simultaneously being like an example of play." Which like that balance and the way that you guys have struck that is incredible. But I love in per- but I love in particular this one that shows up on page 25 that's labeled the Beast of Ozda. Um, Yes. Because and correct me if I'm wrong on this interpretation, but I felt like I read that and I was like, this feels like that piece thinking in the cartoon vein where you have a character in a cartoon who has their own fantasy world that they're creating and you get (laughs) glimpses of in every episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm, And I mm -hmm. got that and I was like, oh, this is probably like a really well written version of like, hey, kids. Fantasy world that they're like playing I, in sometimes. I would
1: not. I would not necessarily describe the heart sword excerpts as well written. They are uh, oftentimes intentionally brave. <laughs> but sure, yes, yeah. yes. Um, there's like some lines that are like, "I clutched the masculine amulet of disguise self close to my feminine bosom, uh, helpful that none would know my dark <laughs> secret that I gun the bald was secretly a twelve year old girl." Um, <laughs> but it's really the heart sword stuff is fantastic. Um, it's it's Gertrude's fantasy. Novel that she's reading. It's her favorite book, and it, it comes up a few times, but uh, and there's like secrets in there. Like there's like there's like things in there which if you like that like some fans are really getting into like f- puzzling out, like who is Emperor Zot? What is the secret meaning of this uh of this whole journey? And things like that that are really playful and fun. I think like you can start to piece together, where like a lot of Yazebas is about. Uh, like, you don't have to know the canon going in. You don't have to understand any of the deeper lore to be able to play and have fun and do it well. But if you really dig into it, there's a lot you can find. And that's kind of... We talk a lot... We think a lot about what we call, like, the shallow entrance in the deep fall, where it's like, I should be able to onboard anyone into this game in, like, 15, 20 minutes tops. Mm-hmm. And then... If they pick up the book, they should be able to get lost in it for hours and days and weeks. They should be able to wiki-dive this thing. Um, and things like the Heart Sword excerpts, which I I also, yes, I find are so delightful. Uh, things like, um, every few sections there's, um, the story of how another one of the residents arrived Mm. at the bed and breakfast, and it goes backwards chronologically. So, you start with Gertrude, and then, like, Amelie, and then Sal, and then hey Kid, and then Parrish. And so you get the story of the arrivals in, like, reverse chronological order, which is very, and which, like, means that, like, they will raise questions, which are later answered by future stories, and things like that, where it's, like, there's a lot of, like, things woven in that are, as you said, simultaneously... Uh, Just fun stories in the style, like, you know, Vampire the Masquerade style, like, fiction snippets, but also uh, examples of play and tone setting and, like, tools to help you understand and deepen the way you tell stories in the world.
2: Yeah, there's one in particular where uh, I think you lay out journeys for the first time, and it's this idea that, like, these characters have bigger journeys, and then there's this very short one called The Missing Room that talks about Sal looking at the record and being like, if there's room for everyone, why doesn't Gertrude have a room essentially? And Yazaba's just like one line response is she'll find a bed eventually, and it's like, oh, she will, like, I know she <laughs> will because I've like, and that's probably her journey, like, I don't need to mm-hmm. go look at her character sheet and see that that's like mm-hmm. you know something that she will accomplish, yeah, yeah, love
1: that, yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, my personal favorite uh snippet is pretty early on, and it's um when describing, uh, I think it's un- it's after guests, the concept of guests who are like side characters. And one of the side characters is Rag and Bones, who is a yeah. devious and incompetent skeleton. And the accompanying fiction to the guest is called Bag and Roans. And it is, uh, it's Rag and Bones disguised as a bear sneaking his way into the bed and breakfast. And Sal trying to intercept him and be like, you're not actually a skeleton inside of a bear costume are you and then you know the the skeleton inside the bear costume laughs you know oh, of course not you know it's, it's really fun it's like we we have this thing we joke about called like the good book rule which is that like ideally our games should be good books in addition to being games which is like you should be able to pick up a copy of one of our games and read it and have a good time reading it that like it, it, we're not just designing for playability, but also for, like, readability and, like, worth as a book. Like, if you want to learn how to play Dungeons & Dragons or Blades in the Dark or, you know, Pathfinder, you can read the book, sure, it's dense and kind of hard Often, you can get a friend to teach it to you, you can, you know, you can listen to a podcast. With us we wanted it to be that sitting down and reading the book is, like, You're not just doing it to learn the rules of the game. You're doing it because it's like a fun thing to read.
0: We've talked on this podcast a bunch about how a lot of our favorite games end up being the ones that that are very readable. So something like, we both loved playing Ten Candles. And part of that book is like, it's a very fun read. And every aspect of that book plays into the tone and the vibe Mm -hmm, and the game mm -hmm. that you're trying to set. And I, I
1: think, quote that book. I quote Ten oh, Candles. It's it's like, do you have good, good. tabletop RPGs to be for me to be like, I want to quote a section from it to like explain a philosophical concept. Like it's good. And
0: I think that both Wanderhome and now Yuseva's Bed and Breakfast really hit that too. Because like, they're, a they're great reads. I'd happily, I am happily reading through them without <laughs> having been able to play them yet. And every aspect of them is just feeding back into the tone and the vibe you're trying to set, making it easier and easier and easier for players to as you were saying, like the shallow entrance, like getting into the game quickly so they can as quick as they want have fun because all of the tools have been presented for them in this great piece of literature and and, and, uh, book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The 80s are over and you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you, and you got touched by the weird, and it made you wild, and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG, a fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter. Featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com We've been talking a lot about the kind of broader design stuff and the history. I think we got to move into a little bit of the specifics of how you play this game. Uh, cuz this is, you know, as you've said before, there is a shallow entrance to this uh, to this game. But in the broadest sense, what are the mechanics that you use throughout this game?
1: So, *Eusebius Bed and Breakfast*. You pick first a chapter, which determines the adventure you're going on, and also the rules of the game in a in a in a mechanical. So, like one chapter might use tokens, like Wanderhome does. Another one might use um, coin flipping as a way to model kind of escalating losing of control. Uh, another one might use a deck of cards to mo- model this like eerie, haunting, exploratory mood, um, and so you identify the mood you want to play the chapter you want to play you learn the rules for that particular chapter and with the specific character you've chosen either a resident who is a more uh, long-term character with a larger arc who has multiple journeys or a guest who has like a much smaller journey um and like is more of an ancillary character um with those you know you pick your characters you play the chapter and then uh the materials you get from that chapter impact the future. So but the the key thing is that every single character sheet has bingos and whoopsies. Bingos being moments of personal triumph and whoopsies being moments of like personal failure. So like a character might have a bingo that's like um you know, show off a skill no one knew you had or make a new friend. Uh, And then a character might have a whoopsie that's like, keep a secret or assume the worst or have a meltdown, right? Those can be whoopsies. And different chapters will have different rules about what to do. So when I'm teaching new people, it's like, cool, we've got our chapter that will teach us how to play. So I guess in the name of of teaching you how to play, of getting into specifics, what chapter would we want to play? Oh, what what, what mood, mood are we in? What mood are we in? I guess if I'm gonna ask you, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna you know model teaching you, what mood are we in? Are we looking for something more relaxed, more pensive, more frantic,
2: or eerie? I'm,
0: I'm feeling pretty relaxed right now. I'm having a great time. So
2: I, I don't yeah. know, Ellie. What
1: do you think? What are you feeling?
2: I well, it's funny you said that because my first instinct was like, "Ooh, frantic!" I kind of like the sound ooh, of frantic. Let's get frantic. We can frantic.
1: We um, can frantic. I could teach you how to play a birthday for Gertrude. Perfect. Yeah, cool. absolutely. That's a, super appropriate. Yeah, that sounds good. So the way we work is we've got we've got our chapter. Um we'd pick characters. Um who wants to be Gertrude in this Ooh, in I'll this be model? Gertrude. Cool. Brian, you're Gertrude. Um Elliot, who are you feeling? We've got a cast of characters. Ooh. Normally I'd read them off, but you have the PDF open, so you're in fact in a better spot
2: to Yeah, do that I'm than a big fan of Hey Kid. Oh, that's oh, yeah. hey, great. Kid, hey what's Kid what's is up? wonderful.
1: I think I'll be I'll be um in addition to being the concierge, uh, because the, I am, you know, I'm facilitating this, I will also be Amelie, the overworked robotic housekeeper, and you're Hey Kid, the demonic child that was left on the front door, and, uh, Brian, you're Gertrude, the runaway, uh, trying to find a place, and people are throwing a birthday party for you. The way the mechanics of this one works, this is the frantic mood. So we use, um, coins. And we use Tracks. We have one track, which is a birthday cake, that once we fill in all six slices, uh, the party starts. We also each have our own track, a three-part track, for our presents. So you're working on a secret present for Gertrude. You don't want Gertrude to know what it is, and so am I. And we've got a little three-part track. Gertrude, you have your own special rules. Uh, but for Hey Kid and I, um, whenever we want to tick a track, right, either on the big cake track or on our presents we flip the chaos coins we have. We start with no chaos coins, so we automatically succeed. And then we get a chaos coin. Next time I want to flip... Well, next time I want to take a track, let's say I want to like, you know, work on the party some more, I'll flip my one chaos coin. If it comes up heads, great! I succeed, I get another chaos coin, the track is ticked, continue on. If I get a tails, then I fail, I do a whoopsie about it, which I mentioned are the stuff on my character sheet, I get another chaos coin and I continue on. Next time I want to do something, I have to flip two chaos coins and hope they both come up heads. Then I have to flip three chaos coins and hope they all three come up heads. And then I have to flip four chaos coins and hope they all four come up heads. And you will notice that as that goes on, it gets increasingly less likely that I will succeed and increasingly more likely that I'll fuck up. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah,
2: yeah, you're good. Absolutely.
1: Cool. It's it increasingly <laughs> likely that you will fuck up. Um Now, you have a couple ways to get rid of Chaos Coins. The first one is if you have five Chaos Coins, cash in all five and immediately succeed. Your other option is to do a bingo, and when you do a bingo, you know, you have a moment of kindness, you show off your best self, and you give all your Chaos Coins to the person who you are being nice to. You make them, you you karmically inconvenience them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, no good deed goes on. I love this game so much. Um, so we're, we're working, you know, Elliot, we're working on our presents, and we're working on the track. Once we get our presents done and the track is done, the party is ready. Gertrude, you're not working on presents. You're not working on tracks. You've got your own thing. Whenever you ask someone a question, flip your chaos coins. Okay. If you succeed, you force them to answer your question. And uh, if they lie to you, you tick a, a spot on your track. And Gertrude, you're not trying to help the party. You're trying to figure out what's going on, because we have to keep the party a secret from you. You're not supposed to know there's a party going on. So you're asking questions, trying to force people to answer you, and when they lie to you, you benefit from it. And once they have lied to you enough you can make a guess about where you think the party is happening, and if you are correct, then you have found out the party. And it is up to you whether or not to, you know, help out, see it through, finish it up, or to put the kibosh on it right then and there, and we all go home empty-handed and with only a sad paper crown to mark the occasion. And that's how you play this particular chapter. It sounds lovely. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, <laughs> podcast listeners can't see our faces right now, but Brian and I are just sitting with like shit-eating grins on right now about this. Yeah. <laughs> about this whole premise. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's delightful. I love. I I love it for a few reasons. I mm-hmm. mean, on the one hand, it um, it is capturing this structure of like a birthday party episode that feels so. Sp- familiar. And then on the other hand, you get to do the bits and bobs. You get the coins, you get to like move coins, and yeah, it's mechanically super interesting and then thematically just delightful. Mm-hmm. I think it's also
1: interesting from a lot of other GMless games, like, you know, if you've read Wanderhome, Wanderhome doesn't give you a lot of tools on how to end your little story. Y- Yusebus is really concerned with making sure that the ending is interesting, as well as the beginning, that like the whole chapter feels like it's not... Out of your control. Like, even though it's GMless, it has an arc, and there's a lot of space to play in that arc and many branching choices to make, but it is almost itself like a little scenario to play out. And then in addition, I think that I love Birthday for Gertrude for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that it does a really good job justifying why we really felt it was important to do pre-gen characters. Why pre-gen characters in particular are so important to Yusebas, among other reasons, is because it lets us build these mechanics so specifically to the characters, right? Like if this was Birthday for Hey Kid, Hey Kid's structure around navigating their birthday party would be totally different than Gertrude's. But Gertrude is a specific person and we can design her mechanics to reflect her own personality for each chapter that she's in.
0: As you were going through and explaining how we play Birthday for Gertrude, you also mentioned that you were taking on the role of concierge but this is still a GMless game. So can you tell me a little bit about the role of what a concierge does in this
1: game? So a concierge is the person who owns the copy of the book. Um, because while this game is GMless in that it doesn't have the traditional GM-player relationship, um, it, there's still a lot of practical things. Like, we really sat down and we're like, what are the roles of a GM? Like, what are the responsibilities that traditionally are assumed to be part of a GM's responsibilities. What are those that don't have to be theirs, and what are those that still need to be theirs in this context? And so we nailed it down to three things that a concierge must do. The concierge being the, you know, the, the major domo of the bed and breakfast, who, like, is a character in-universe, theoretically. Like, they're referenced a couple times in the fiction. They're like, I encourage you to imagine when you are the concierge that it is literally you in, like, a funny little outfit, like a, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel-style little you know like fit that's what i always picture like you know concierge j is like you know is just me like the the one human character in a muppet uh muppets you know like (laughs) thing Mm. and the concierge has three roles they are the facilitator the narrator and the bookkeeper so they their responsibilities are to teach new people and to welcome them to the table and to kind of set things up for them and to like kind of do the little process of picking a chapter and explaining the rules like i just did they are the narrator, which means that um, when things are quiet, when no one knows what to do next, the concierge can narrate a thing that happens. They can describe the world around them, although like players can contradict them very easily. Um, and then they are the bookkeeper, which means that after the chapter is over, they're the one responsible for figuring out like, oh, you finished your journey. Let me get the sticker that we can put on your sheet over your, you know, your new journey. Oh, you finished. You know, like oh we unlocked this new guest, let me go find that guest's printout and add them to the pile. That sort of thing. That's kind of the responsibility of the concierge's bookkeeper at the end. Um, And those are the roles that we felt were like, we need someone who is operating these roles. It makes sense that they're the person who owns the game, right? That, like, it is effectively your role as, you know, in the same way that, like, you know, it's like it's like if a board game said, you know, gave a special hat to the person who owned the game and said, your role is to keep track of the board game when no one is around and to pack it back up again after everyone's done playing, right? Like, that is the concierge in essence, is you are the caretaker
2: of this instance of the book slash house slash game. And if you want a really good example of, at a baseline, the facilitator portion of that, rewind a couple minutes to Jay taking us through... Uh, Gertrude's birthday, yeah, exactly. I think. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And that's you know like I've been I've done a lot of concierge. I have um, a purple binder that for the past two years has been my personal iteration of Yuseba's Bed and Breakfast. Like it's all bound up in there. Uh, and for years now, every time I play with a group of people, that's the edition we've been playing with, making modifications. Sal the Night Porter sold his heart, and it was a whole journey to get it back again. Um, the world almost ended. It's been like a, a, a tumultuous little binder, but it's been my you know kind of both. The playtest object to see really like, you know, we want to see what a legacy campaign of this is like for years and years, right? Because people will be owning this for years and years. What does that feel like? Um, and also, uh, you know, to, to get a sense of like, for me, what is it like to run this? What is it like to concierge this? What is it like to, like, I'm, I don't want to tell people you're a bookkeeper now that you own this unless I know what it's like to keep the book. And then as far as the bookkeeping goes, one of the aspects of bookkeeping in this
0: is. Littering the book with stickers and advancing yes. tracks, you you gotta you gotta t- we gotta talk about stickers. Oh, yes, we gotta absolutely. talk about stickers.
1: So <laughs> so at the end of a birthday for Gertrude, assuming that the party went well, we get a little square sticker called um. It's about it's about a three quarters of an inch square of a little piece of birthday cake, and that's a memento. And we find somewhere in the bed and breakfast to put it. Uh, and there's all these shelves. You can put it in Gertrude's backpack. We can put it on the front desk. We can put it. Um, in Yuseba study, wherever we want to put it. And when we do so, you know, we put in one of these little s- square slots. And then if we get two more little square slots, uh, we can unlock a new guest, right? Maybe Muckleby comes to visit the bed and breakfast. He's like a sentient blob of slime. Maybe we unlock a new chapter where like people can go berry picking. Maybe we unlock, you know, a late game chapter that's like more emotionally intense. And the stickers are, uh, you know, first off, it's just a lot of fun to get to, like, pull stickers out and stick them on things. But also, they're the way of kind of ensuring that even though this is a non-chronological game, you kind of approach it however, if you follow the rules and you want that experience, there is still this sense of, like, early chapters, intermediate chapters, late chapters. Like, the game feels like it flows through still. I've always been
0: a really big fan of things that are like homemade and and like used and worn. Like I was a big fan of um, the YouTuber Casey Neistat because like he just built everything himself in a very fun, so everything he had was like just built and like made of two by fours and glue or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And there's something really exciting about having this book and like looking at it in like two or three years and having just, like, a bunch of stickers loading the pages and, like, pages sticking out of the thing and, like, everything's just, like, just this being this worn, magical item that's just sitting in your bookcase yes. that with a whole world inside.
1: Yes, absolutely. We really wanted the feeling of, like, this is a special magical object for you. This is, that when by caring for this thing, it becomes, like, your own personal scrapbook. And that was that was really critical to us. Like, and, like, there's things like um there's one guest who a sentient wasp dignitary and when she departs the bed and breakfast, she can only come back uh if you press a wildflower into the pages of the book. Um there's one guest there's like, you know, Hey Kid encourages you to draw, you know, panels of their comic when they're bored. Uh, Gertrude encourages you to like cross out her hearts or like draw new hearts on her page. Sal wants you to like mess with song lyrics. There's like notes from characters throughout the book where like you'll see like a clarification on a game mechanic in like Gertrude's handwriting and there's like a different font for every single character so if you feel particularly like kind of uh fascinated you can like piece together who's writing what notes like who wrote what and what in what part of the book there's an entire section of the book that's written in hey kids handwriting and things like that where it's very you know like it's it's like it's a book that's designed to play with and to add to and to expand on until it's like your your personal copy like it really feels like you know uh, there's more i want to say but even that i think that might be that might count as spoilers so i think you know but like there's a, really a lot of ways that the book can become your own
0: and as we know we're very conflicted about spoilers on this podcast yes, of we're course know, of course, more
2: conflicted than ever we're
1: really we're trying to figure out where we
2: stand so we're,
1: we're gonna hold off mm-hmm. but, but maybe, worry, maybe in worry. later interview, you'll, you'll find it you'll find what i mean you'll dig through and you'll know
2: what i mean i
0: was um reading online and there was a, a comic book artist that i really like who wrote a, a comic called Eight Billion Genies that just ended? And the the premise of the comic is that everyone on Earth gets a genie with one wish, and it's uh, what of all. To that. it's It just ended. It's phenomenal. Great series. A great series. Um, but he was at a, a comic convention signing comics, and someone in the line brought him like a second edition, whatever, or like third or fourth printing of the second issue that was like dog eared, completely like, just an absolutely destroyed copy. And he, you know, on all the other copies that are meant, whatever he just signed it and that one he drew like all over because like oh this has been loved like this person loves it
1: oh yeah i think the there's this story once i think of um gaiman and pratchett at a book signing and they received uh someone brought them a copy of good omens to sign that was in a wooden box when they opened up the wooden box the book had like the book was, like, effectively, like, a pile of pages that had been, like, bound together by rubber bands and, like, had fallen in the bath, and it was this, like... And they, like, you know, there was, like, such a beautiful... Like, we have this weird thing in our culture about, like virginal purity when it comes to especially nerd objects like as someone who plays match the gathering it comes up a lot there yeah. um you see I it a lot of cards oh yeah i mean i do too <laughs> but like that's you know it's it's this sense of this ag- of this anxiety of like what if the card what if the valuable thing is damaged um and a lot of like i own a tarot deck where there are cards that are like have been signed, or cards that have been dog eared, or cards that have like gotten like soda spilled on them. Um, I own a Match the Gathering cube where we put stickers on the cards to change what the cards do, and like some of the cards have gotten like cut up and destroyed. And I have a deep fascination with like what if you know what what does it mean to love an object? And we have this idea that to love an object means to keep it safe from being tarnished. And I've been really into the idea of what if it means to love an object, means to uh, like eat it, to destroy it, to like sink your teeth into it physically and, and rip it apart.
0: So I was going to say that like apocryphal story about Maurice Sendak, yes. where uh, yes. apparently for anyone who doesn't know the story, it's, it's a lovely story. And some kid loved uh, was it where the wild things are? Yeah. And his mother wrote Maurice Sendak, and Maurice Sendak was tickled by it and drew an original drawing of of where the wild things are and sent to the kid. And the mother sent a uh, thing back saying. Thank you so much. He loved it so much that he ate it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Which there is, is yes, no what, better what, compliment.
1: What greater way is there to show love for an object than to, like, you know, want it so close to you? Um, I think Yusebas is kind of like playing in that, like Yusebas is playing with ephemerality, it's playing with, you know, like something that, that gets broken down over time and reformed over time. Like, I hope, I would be delighted beyond belief if in, you know, five years from now I get to see people's copies of Yusebas that are like, dog-eared and torn to bits. I think that would be the, the greatest honor I could ask for.
0: I was really hoping you were going to say in five years that someone comes and they'd eaten Yzabeth's bed and breakfast. Oh well, the no someone was that's that's a different
1: story. That I would, I would, I would be done. I'd be good. I wouldn't have to write another RPG. My um, yep. my work would Could be retire. finished here. Okay. Yeah, for
0: the good of the tabletop role playing game community, no one eat Yzabeth's bed and breakfast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you mustn't.
0: You mustn't. You There's mustn't. The, siren, the siren call is there. Ignore it. You must
2: fight
1: it. We must all. We cannot eat the delicious, delicious uh, tabletop.
2: i think it's so interesting this whole idea of like loving an object to death sort of thing and i feel like it's in in so many ways that this game captures of like things we knew how to do and this is something you've written a lot about in design um blogs and articles is things we knew how to do as a kid that then games can help us discover again as adults um and I think that this, like, loving something to destruction is something we really know how to do as kids if you have that, like, you know, go find that stuffed animal that maybe you're still holding on to, that you chomped on the ears and you yanked the arms and everything. And it's this it's this instinct that we very much have. And and I love all the ways that that comes into play in yeah. in Yazabas, this yeah. idea of, like, we knew how to do this. You know, we, re- like, we knew how to make a world as infinite as Yazebas as kids. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and now we're rediscovering it kind of through the game,
1: and that's why I think it's so important. Like you know, I think it's easy to be critical of Yazeba's kind of childish tone, um, and I think like I know that there are people like I have friends of mine who have bounced off of it because they're like they don't like that it's a it's a it's a game that's playing with kind of this children's media property. This kind of like sense of like. You know, kind of like you know, whoopsies. You know, like you know, it's got you know references to no tag back rule. You know, it's it's a lot of the language of childhood. Um, That's like on purpose, and I think it's because it wouldn't work the way I wanted it to without without us putting you in the mindset of like kind of allowing yourself to re explore childhood, right? Like a lot of what it's trying to do mechanically. You know, there's no reason why it has to be this setting. It could be a different setting that we've, like, fleshed out. You could have a mega dungeon that is, you know, you could have, like, a, an OSR game that is built in this style. But it was important to make you feel like the stakes were low. It was important to make you feel like your kid's on a playground again, that you're telling a story with something from your childhood, something that you can be nostalgic over, but also that doesn't feel... That its sacredness feels like it's something that merges, it's something you can apply to it. If you played Yazeba's, if you played a version of it that had a different setting, that where maybe the stakes were higher, it would suck to like have a pre-generated character you're attached to, and then you come back and find out they're dead. You know, it would be like it would be harder to tell a story where we don't already have this kind of shared social contract of what a story for children is like because you know a lot of my games are designed with safety tools kind of built in at many levels. And one of the tricks of Yazeba's is that a lot of the tone and content is built in, right? Like you sit down at at a, at a you know a game of Dungeons and Dragons and lines and veils are important. You know you sit down Monster Heart's really important. You know you're handling a lot of stuff and like. It's important to, like, set boundaries and to talk about, like, what you are or are not comfortable with with Yusebas, but a lot of it is prefigured for you, right? Like, you know, you know that you can expect that there won't be violence. Like, if there was someone, you know, if you got stabbed, that would be a weird, unwelcome thing to have happen that, like, would, you know, like, it's like, it's putting you in the mindset, it's putting you in the framework kind of off the bat.
0: I know that, um... We were talking with Kieran Gillen and Grant Howard about Die for uh, a previous season. And in that game, they kind of joke that their on ramp into like getting to that childlike space is that there's kind of an irony fail safe in that game because it's you're playing people, playing people. So you can always kind of default to, oh, that's I'm not doing that. It's the person I'm playing doing that. Whereas Yazabas is kind of doing a similar thing, but it's just like we're putting you in a childlike space. So you can always kind of default to that space, if you want. Like, it's not you, it's child you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can find safety in, like, what is this character? It's not kind of a character whole cloth from your own imagination. It is a character who is is defined by a story. It's a character who whose shape can already be known. And who is, who's kind of more childlike, right? You're playing Hey Kid, part of, you know... Hey, is a great character to play for, you know, I love to play a kid, partially because they're very active, and so they can instigate a lot of stuff, but also they're very childlike. So if you're bored, it feels safe to be like, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of this part. Look, can we do a different thing? Like and that can be in character but like you mean it you know and like it's it's this it's this lovely little like gift that the character gives you it's a real hack for hey kid i'm bored <laughs> i'm bored yeah like you know you can just be like i'm i don't want to i'm tired like more people in general should do that in rpgs to just be able to be like hey this part is dull and has gone on for too long can we skip uh but like i think hey kid gives you a and like children in general give you a special vector to do that like characters where it's okay for them to be rude
2: like where we're not we're not scared of them being rude. So, I want to talk a little bit about just like get a little heady about the game design because I I know I know you love to talk about the stuff and I love to hear about it. We in our wander home conversation, I don't know if you remember, you mentioned this idea of systems of relation and this was something you had written about and when listening back to that conversation and this idea that like when you Like, when you're not using the mechanics, there's still the game there through these systems of relation. It feels like this game, like, doubles down on that idea. And I'd be really curious to hear you talk about how that uh, was implemented and thought about.
1: Yes. So, (laughs) uh, Yoseba's Bed and Breakfast. Um, In most games, we conflate rules and mechanics and the game itself, right? When you talk about Dungeons & Dragons... Um, things like D20 and leveling and classes and races feel fundamental to the game, right? Like, how do you you can't really separate out like, oh, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but you know, freeform. It's like, well, okay, you've changed it. You know, it's no longer you're not play, you're not necessarily playing Dungeons and Dragons. Whereas Yuzepa's says that the rules are secondary to the game. The rules are whatever we want them to be in that moment, right? It's like, oh, this chapter, the rules are this way, and this chapter, the rules are that way. You know, in A Birthday for Gertrude, we're using coins. In, you know, when we go trick-or-treating, we'll be using a deck of cards. When we go fishing, we'll be using tokens. When we go firefly catching, we'll be using questions. We'll be using these different structures. Um, and there are repeating structures, but they're not fundamental to the game. You could just as easily make your own chapter that has a completely different game mechanic that it uses, just for fun. Um, and that's because ultimately, what it means to play Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast is conf- is is defined by the world and the setting. So when you play a game set in your Yazebas, that's playing Yazebas. you know. And so it's it's a different relationship to where. What the game is, right, and like that came out of I realized this whole thing about systems revelation that you're mentioning, like that is something that I figured out through making yazebas like that is something that i've I, I put together through the process of making yazebas, and like Yazebas started very much like. The name of the game was the first thing written down. It was, you know, Yazaba's bed and breakfast. I just, we wrote down in like a trance. And then we were like, all right, we have this bed and breakfast. What's, what are its rules? And like, you know, we, we wrote a bit about, you know, no soliciting, trespassing, romancing, snooping, snitching, or unnecessary small talk welcome. And then we we're like, oh, but there, there has to be an, you know, there has one more thing, room for everyone. And we sort of started getting a sense of the characters. And then we had a few different system ideas before we settled. And I think what happened was, I had a little bit of an idea of like, oh, what if this is a hack of Lady Blackbird? And M had never read Lady Blackbird. So I wrote a couple of characters that used Lady Blackbird mechanics. And then M wrote a chapter, the first chapter, that interpreted those mechanics in a really different way than what I meant. And I was like, oh, but that's fine. And we realized like, hey, wait a second. This can be a game about plugging pieces together in different ways, where if you keep the character the same, but you change the rules every time. And that was kind of where a lot of that emerged.
2: I'd love to talk a little bit more about working with M and what you kind of think each of you brought to this process. And then maybe expanding the team out from there, what all the different, because it seems like this is the biggest list of contributors of a Possum Creek game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, you are correct. How did all these people come together to make this? So it started with M and me. M
1: was really the systems head and I was um, a lot of the creative So M has a mind for systems. M is really a a tinkerer. If you've ever played Wickedness, which is by her, you get a sense of her style, which is she's so... She's got all these little moving pieces, and she finds the right way to move them together. And the rules almost look arbitrary until you're playing, and then suddenly you realize how they all fit together. So M, you know, M's so good with systems, and then I... I'm a voracious writer. I can just come up with things and believe them to be good enough to write down. And then M is is very much like an editor, right? Where so a lot of our creative process is like, I write, you know, two thousand words, and then M turns them into fifteen hundred good words, you know, like, like you know, and then M writes five hundred words, and then I write another fifteen hundred words, you know. So it's like where like a lot of it is like you know, M plants a seed, I make it grow. And then M trims the bush. Um, the other two writers, Mercedes and Lily, were uh, both fantastic. Uh, who came on a little bit later. Once the kind of baseline had been established, and we had a sense of what we want the project to be, and we went, "Oh no, we can't do all of this alone. We need other perspectives. We need other perspectives, and we also need other skill sets." Um, so Lily is a cartoonist and also, Lily does not have RPG experience. Lily is a cartoonist and a, and a fiction writer. And so Lily, they brought a lot of like a more traditional, you know, like almost like a, a cartoonist mindset where they wrote a lot of prose. And then Mercedes is also a game designer, but has kind of just a very different kind of like energy and outlook and approach. And Mercedes also adopted some of the characters, I think most notably Amelie, uh, and really made Amelie their own. Like a lot of Amelie's characterization came from Mercedes, kind of really, and like a lot of the best Amelie chapters. Our Mercedes taking Amelie and getting them operational. And then uh, Grubby is the art director. She handled all the art, her team of artists. We have uh, got like half a dozen artists, including a designated artist who just draws Hey Kid's art. <laughs> so all of the art by Hey Kid is by one specific artist, uh, who really does a great job. There's a lot of great art in there. Um, we can look at the credits for that. And there's the editing team where we had Avery Alder, who wrote Monster Hearts in the Quiet Year as a design consultant. We had LD Lewis, who was one of the main organizers behind Fire Festival, and a really talented uh, writer of their own right, whose list of accomplishments is genuinely too long for me to name. They were the narrative editor, and we had Kazumi Chin, who is also the mechanical editor for Wanderhome. Kazumi came back to edit for Yuseba's. Kazumi is fantastic, both a designer and a professor of. A, a designer, a poet, and a professor of Asian American Studies at Eastleigh Berkeley. Uh, and then there was, you know, Dominique Dickey was the organizer and was the creative consultant. So it was like an editing team, an art team, a writing team. And we were all kind of passing stuff back and forth and building stuff. You know, like, an artist would have an idea. Like, a, the concept artist, Astor came in and was like, hey, what if, like, Yazebo smoked cigars? And it was like this. And we were like, hell yeah. Like, here's, here's some outfit ideas for Sal. And it was like, this is great. Gets reincorporated back into the game. All these sorts of things.
2: So, Jay, I guess my final question would be, why September 15th?
1: Well, first off, it's Gertrude's birthday, although Yuseba didn't know that when she chose it. The real answer, I think, is that September 15th is... One of the last warm days of summer before we get to fall, it's kind of in that intermediary season. But most season intermediaries kind of suck, right? Like, the area between spring and summer is too hot. The area between winter and spring is too wet. The area between uh, autumn and winter is too miserable. Like, no one would choose December 15th as their favorite day of the year. But September 15th is a really good—it's not— you know, you you've got uh, you know, warm days but cold nights. It kind of balances well the temperatures, and also I I like to think that it's Yazeba's birthday too.
0: Aww, I love that. I love that too. <laughs> and if you
1: were if you were a witch who made a who made a magic house for yourself, wouldn't you want it to just always be your birthday, even if you also never wanted to celebrate your birthday because you're a heartless evil witch?
0: I really love that just that headcanon too of Yuseba just wanting her birthday but never tells anyone just mm-hmm. like it's just for it. herself
1: it's just you know which you know but like just and it is a headcanon I don't think it's anywhere in the text but I, I think it's um, you know I think part of what's fun about Yuseba is I have headcanons it's <laughs> getting to have headcanons but I think you've made
2: I
0: love it and then I think that I love ending on that question that's great Jay is there anything else you know while we have you anything else you wanted to talk about the game or anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure to get in?
1: The physical edition of Yusebio's Bed and Breakfast is coming out in a little bit less than two months. It'll be in early, mid-November. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Be sure to go pick up a copy at possumcreekgames.com uh, or at your local game store. Or if you're going to PAX Unplugged, but, you know, stay, stay COVID safe. But if you are, we'll be... Uh, you know, we'll be doing stuff there and having some special events to celebrate the release of the book. So do come pick up a copy if you're around and say hi. I'd love to, to say hi. Hell yeah. And remember, do not eat your copy. Do Whatever not eat you your do, copy. Do not eat you your copy. Breakfast. Do not, resist all of the, temp- the little all the demons in the back of your mind telling you that it would be so tasty. Don't you don't have a page or two. No, see, page that's or how two? it starts. That's you fine. think, oh,
0: that corner looks especially <laughs> tasty. I'll just eat a little corner. And then all of a sudden, you've consumed a 500-page book. We don't want that. We don't want that here.
1: It's really a gateway page,
0: if you think about (laughs) it. Exactly. (laughs) That is all the time we have. Jay, thank you so, 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 so much.
1: A, for coming on the show, and B, for making all these great games that we're so excited to play. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight.
0: Though that's all the time we have, do not worry. This party has just gotten started. Head back over to your podcast player right now and tune into any of the chapters of Yuseva's Bed and Breakfast that we are playing All of them featuring original music, immersive sound design, and an absolutely amazing cast. Listen to them in any order, because as you've heard here, the order doesn't matter. Start wherever you like. Whatever strikes your fancy, hit that episode, and then you're going to want to listen to all the other ones. I promise you. Oh, and before you go, you should know the rules of the bed and breakfast. They're written on a large sign on the front door. As you heard before, no soliciting, trespassing, romancing, snooping, snitching, or unnecessary small talk welcome. But you will also notice that little sign just below a second smaller sign that reads, Room for Everyone. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, it is your humble concierge here. If you're enjoying the adventures of the bed and breakfast so far, head on over to patreon.com/myfirstdungeonpod. There you're going to find two brand new chapters at Yazaba's Bed and Breakfast completely sound designed and scored, as well as talkbacks for all 8 episodes. Of our adventures from my first dungeon presents Yzma's bed and breakfast. But shh, don't tell Gertrude.
2: Um, hey, who are you? Uh, pantry
0: uh-huh.
2: demons. Pantry demons. Oh, so I'm today. the
0: pantry demons.
2: Mm, I don't Boom. know about that. Okay, bye. You like us. You really like us.
0: At least, I assume that you do, as you've listened to every minute of this episode. And yet you haven't already left us a five-star review? Well, what are you waiting for? Get over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave
1: that review now. It's always wonderful to hear words from our adoring fans. Getting more ratings helps people find the show and love it as well. And
0: we love to hear your nice words. So head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star review. ta